Well, good morning, church. Good to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open it to 1 John chapter 5. And here in a minute, we'll take a look at verse 13 and 24 other passages. So if you're a note taker, you want to get your pen or pencil ready because we're going to cover some ground today. But before we get started, I want to share a little story with you. Once upon a time on my journey to become a Navy SEAL, part of that process was learning how to parachute out of a plane. And I found myself one day checking in to the command at Fort Benning, Georgia called Airborne School. Now, if you don't know about Airborne School, it's three weeks long and it's definitely a crawl, walk, run kind of journey. But as I was learning all the ropes when I was there, I quickly realized that as much as the Army liked to call it this elite school, I quickly realized everyone else called it a dope on a rope. And so we would basically be willing souls to hook up to a plane and just jump out, and prayerfully, the chute would open. And so, thankfully, I didn't have to go through the school by myself. I had a teammate named Scott who joined me. Now, Scott was about my size, and he was an honorary Cajun who grew up in Louisiana, and his dad was a professional boxer. So to say Scott had a mean jab was an understatement, and he was a great guy to have with you if you found yourself in a scrap. And we maybe had a few in my career. But anyway, our journey began when we checked in to Fort Benning, Georgia, one steamy August, and we worked through the first week, and it was very tense. They taught us how to fall down from standing up, and so we worked from standing on the ground, and then we actually graduated by the end of the week to stand on a three-foot-tall box, and we had to fall off of that box. But then week two, they ramped it up a little bit, and I found myself standing on this sandy grounds in front of something called the Umgawa Tower. Now, the Umgawa Tower was 250 feet tall, and it was basically this giant tower that had steel cables that came down and attached to something you might as well call a giant hula hoop. And that hula hoop had a parachute attached to it, and from the parachute, they had a harness. Well, the guy right before me was a wee little lad, and he walked up there, and they hooked him up, and I watched him hoist it all 250 feet up into the sky. And when they cut him loose, instead of falling, he gently drifted away from the soft sand, and he landed in a dumpster, and he broke both his legs. Now, I thought, being reasonable people, they would cancel training. But instead, I heard, next. <laughs> so reluctantly, I walked up and put on the same harness, and as I was being pulled up into the air, I heard these words that everybody who's gone through airborne school will never forget. They said, we are going to take you high where the eagles fly, and we're going to cut you loose like a bucket of juice. <laughs> and in fact, they did. And so as I was sitting there, and I proved that I was ready and a good listener by putting my hands on my helmet, they cut me loose. And as I was falling, I still saw the ambulance and heard the guy screaming. But thankfully, I fell straight to the ground, because I'm not a wee little lad. And when I hit the ground, I was so happy. And then I saw my buddy Scott walking up to take my place, and I grinned, and I said, good luck being the next bucket of juice. And so I was so thrilled. Well, later on, Scott and I checked into the SEAL team, and we learned how to free fall or skydive, and many other adventures awaited us in the sky, and certainly time doesn't permit uh, to share all those tales today. But here is the deal that I want you to take away. Nobody likes uncertainty. No one. Instead, we are all looking for assurance in something or someone we can count on. And that's a guarantee. 
Now, the question I want to ask each one of you today is, are you experiencing uncertainty in your life today? Because there's a good chance, looking at everyone here and listening to those online, that some of you are facing uncertainty. And so I developed my own stress scale, and I want you to put your own life on it. Imagine that you're being stuck in an airport and you've had a flight canceled. A few of us have had that happen in our days. That might move the needle to a one or two on the stress level, right? But then I bet some of you have experienced stress on an eight or nine while you await for a medical diagnosis or maybe someone you love. That certainly is a lot more concerning. But these are all physical problems. Now insert yourself into the spiritual realm. Imagine being uncertain about your spiritual destiny. That would actually move your uncertainty off the chart, and the stress would be unimaginable. But I have good news for you today. God does not want you to live with uncertainty when it comes to your salvation. That's why all those years ago, he had the apostle John write from 1 John 5, 13, these words that are in front of you now. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. My friends, God wants you to know that you have eternal life. For some, the claim to know such things sounds a bit boastful, but if God wants us to know it, then I believe it's our responsibility to pursue such assurance. That is why our message today is called Blessed Assurance, and it is for every child of God. It is also available for anyone seeking to know God today. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, the author and perfecter of our faith, we come before you today with hearts full of gratitude and awe. We are grateful for the revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained victory over the world. Father, we gather here as your children, bound by the love that you've lavished upon us, seeking assurance and direction from your word. As we delve into the depths of 1 John 5.13, we ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds. May the truths of your word seep into the very core of our being, confirming our faith and fortifying our assurance in the eternal life you've promised us. Open our ears to hear your testimony, our hearts to receive your love, and our minds to understand your eternal wisdom. We are aware, Father, that some among us may be struggling with doubt and fear. May this time in your presence serve as a divine reminder that your word is greater than any human worry and your assurance is steadfast and true. Reveal to us the victory that comes from believing that Jesus is the Christ, your Son, and our Savior. May everything we do today bring glory to your name. May this service be not just a religious routine, but a genuine encounter with you, the God who assures, loves, and saves. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And the church said, Amen, Amen church. Now, one thing that I've learned in ministry is that most people, by default, trust their feelings. But I've also learned this about our feelings, that they are fickle and they're not trustworthy at all. If you get your theology from feelings or circumstances, you will conclude that God does not love you. It's important enough, I want you to hear it again. If you get your theology from your feelings or your circumstances, at the end of the day, you will conclude that God does not love you. That's why today I want to encourage you to stop relying on your feelings even if you enjoy that roller coaster of emotions that they provide for you, and instead trust Scripture. Our first step on this journey towards assurance is the promises of Scripture. Consider the following passages from God's Word to shore up your faith today. 
pay attention to the invitation to know God and to have a relationship with him. Now we're going to visit a few dozen passages, so you may want to jot them down so you can look at them later. But I want you to focus on God's word and I want you to listen carefully because today it is my prayer that he's going to shore up your faith if you are a child of God. Listen to our first text, 1 John 5, starting in verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Did you hear that? What a text to build your assurance upon. In fact, as you read John's little letter, you'll see that the word know is listed 39 times. If you've taken a class on how to study the Bible, you will learn that when things are repeated, they're important. I believe the Word of God is telling us today that we have the privilege and the responsibility to know that we can have eternal life. Now, in 1 John 5.13, we read the purpose statement and the reminder that all believers can have eternal life, and they can know it. In comparison, when you look at John's gospel, his purpose statement is to lead people to belief in Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this is John's way of wrapping up everything he's written till that point. Thankfully, no child of God, if asked whether they are going to heaven, needs to say, I hope so, or I think so. They need not have any doubt at all. Now, I will tell you, one of the reasons that some of us have doubt is because we have a real enemy, and he wants us to live like an inert grenade. Now, in military training, before you get to throw a real grenade, you get this thing that's a blue grenade. And a blue grenade is a symbol to all the world that it has no power, there's no explosives in it, and it's very, very safe to handle. So it has the weight and feel of a real grenade, but... It's absolutely worthless on a battlefield. Think about it. Our real enemy, Satan, he wants you to live your life like an inert grenade. He does not want you to operate from power, understanding you're a child of God, that you have eternal assurance, that you know you're going to heaven. He doesn't want you to live that way because if you actually understand who you are, you might actually live differently. And so my hope through these passages is to move you from inert living to powerful living where you actually are explosive and you share the word of God from a position of faith, knowing who you are as a child of God. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Revelation 22, 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. One of my favorite passages, Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast I like words like never when God's involved with my security. Question, have you responded to these invitations? 
Have you come to a point where you're thirsty, desperate, realizing you cannot save yourself? And aren't you glad that you can't earn your way to heaven, that you actually do have to accept the promises of God? So the question is, have you called on the name of the Lord? The Bible says all who do are saved. And again, I encourage you not to trust your feelings, but to trust God's word. Jerry Bridges, a man I've learned a great deal from, once in a while, he said, I get discouraged about my Christian life when God gives me a glimpse of my sinfulness of my heart. When this happens, we often ask the question, am I really a Christian? This is when we need to go back to the promises of God's word. There's another reason you hear pastors and ministry leaders encouraging you to be involved in a Bible reading plan. We want you to know these promises for yourself. Romans 10, 13 again says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My hope is that this picture of blessed assurance is starting to come into focus for you. Living a life of assurance is freeing and exciting because it is a life built on facts of promises of Scripture. Now, years ago, I had the joy of sharing Christ with a man named Mario in the Dominican Republic, many years ago. And earlier that day, I asked our translator if everybody in the Dominican Republic knew the Bible verse on their flag. So take a look at this picture of their flag. He assured me that everyone did. And if you don't know about their flag, they have an open Bible on it. And they're the only flag in the entire world that has a Bible on it. Pretty cool. That's a great way to start a conversation with someone from the Dominican Republic and actually say, your flag's actually cooler than ours. Like, you got a Bible on it. Now, you may not know the passage it's open to. It is John 8, verse 31 and verse 32. Listen to God's word. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Pretty cool. I remember as I was having this conversation with Mario, and I started sharing about how much God loves him. This man, he was about 65, and he was shredded still, worked hard all his life. And at some point in our conversation, as he was learning about the, the mysteries of the gospel and how much God loved him, he just started to weep. And he looked at me, and through the translator, he said, nobody has ever told this to me. I had no idea that God loved me. I had no idea that Jesus died for me and that he's alive. And he wept. He said, many people have come through here. No one's ever taken the time to tell me about Jesus. That day, that man placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he reached out with open arms, and he said, Armano. And he gave me this big old hug. And then he held up his finger like this, which meant, as far as I knew, wait a minute. And I watched this man run up a tree, and with the machete he had, what was covered in blood, I didn't ask from where, probably chickens, he chopped down this coconut, came back down the tree, chopped it up like a professional, and gave it to me and said, Armano. Well, if you know anything about bloody machetes and coconuts, you know you're going to need antibiotics later, right? But that's part of being a missionary. So I grabbed that coconut, and I drank deeply, and I said, Armano, and I gave it right back to him. And in fact, I did need antibiotics later. <laughs> but it was worth it to watch somebody go from death to life because of the power of God's word. Now, another reason we rely on the promises of Scripture is that we are our own worst enemy. We can really do a number on ourselves. If that's not bad enough, we also have a very real enemy, 
who will accuse us on a regular basis. And he hates every man, woman, boy, and girl. Now, Satan is the accuser. And I am thankful for Romans 8, 33, that says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, Satan may no longer accuse us before God, but he certainly does a great job of accusing us directly. I'm confident that every believer listening today has heard the accuser say, how could a person who loves Jesus do such silly, sinful stuff after being a believer for decades? Shame on you. Every child of God has heard the accuser come at them with this phrase. Now, how do you defend yourself against an attack like that? Certainly you don't ignore sin, but rather you run to the cross and you remember what Jesus did on that cross. He took your sin, he took my sin upon himself, and he paid the price for all of it. Clinging to the promise of Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And our first step on this journey is to trust in the promises of Scripture. In other words, don't put a question mark where God has put a period. Let me say it again. Do not put a question mark where God has put a period. We need to know what Peter spoke about in 2 Peter 1.16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Charles Spurgeon rightly pointed out, we should not have been commanded to give diligence to make our calling and election sure if it were not right for us to be sure. I am sure it is right for a child of God to know that God is his father and never to have question in his heart as to his sonship. We've now arrived at our second step on this important journey towards assurance, the witness of the Spirit. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Remember, God knows our weaknesses. He also knows our doubts. That's why he's given every believer the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15 begins, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I'll admit it's hard to explain to describe the mystery of the Holy Spirit working with a human spirit. I might not be able to explain it, but I can tell you that I've experienced it. Years ago, I was a teenager in the youth group. Now, I was blessed to grow up in a family where I was taught the Word of God, and I was told I was one of those little boys when he was five years old, went down to the altar and told the preacher that he was ready to get saved, get my life straight, I'm not going to live like that no more. And then I went to the baptismal, and professed my love for the Lord. But as a teenager, I sat in youth group one night, and there was about a hundred of us. And the normal routine was we would close with music and our youth pastor would give an invitation. That night he did something different, caught me off guard because the Holy Spirit was working on my heart. And he said, you've just been going through the motions. You don't actually know me and I don't know you. That night he said, if you want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up. No music. No, nothing. Just stand up. But you know what? That was the day I put a stake in the ground and I stood up and I decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for the conviction that he placed upon my heart because I realized without him, 
I have nothing. So I placed my hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And it is a beautiful thing to experience, Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, which I was taught as a little boy means forsaking all, I trust him, that's Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And once you have peace with God, then and only then can you experience the peace that comes from Philippians 4.7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we consider the witness of the Spirit, we need to understand something about being justified. This, of course, could be an entire message alone, but let me share one thing about it. The day that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, you were justified before a holy God. As you live your life, all the way to you enter eternity, when you stand before the Lord, you will never be more justified, even on that day, than you were on that very first day that you believed. You need to cling to that. You need to remember that. You're justified because of what Jesus did for you. Having an assurance of your salvation, in my opinion, is crucial to your spiritual health and growth. It is possible for a person to be saved and not have assurance. Listen to what J.C. Ryle once said. Faith is the root and assurance the flower. Doubtless you can never have the flower without the root. But it is no less certain you may have the root and not the flower. Okay, we've observed the promises of Scripture and the witness of the Spirit. Now look at our third step towards assurance, the work of the Spirit. A verse that is helpful here is 1 John 1, 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The key word here is practices. Notice he didn't say always. Certainly God's standard for his children is to live rightly all the time. But it's also obvious if you've lived for more than five minutes on planet Earth that none of us can measure up to that. Earlier in John's letter, he said in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's safe to conclude that John isn't describing sinlessness, but our normal practice, the direction of of our lives. And a good question to ask ourselves is, do I have a desire to obey God in all that he commands? Do I delight inwardly even though I may struggle? The apostle Paul knew what this struggle looked like. Consider Romans 7. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Folks, as we grow in Christ, it's natural to become more sensitive to sin. This often leads to doubt in our salvation. Now, one of my specialty in the SIL teams was medicine. And so they sent me to PA school, and I got to learn lots of different ways to treat guys in the combat environment. But one of the things that I've learned our body is very good at is when we have pain, it's letting us know there's something wrong, and we need to seek help. I've also learned in ministry that when we experience doubt, it's also our body's way of letting us know there's something wrong with our soul, and we need to get clarity on why we're experiencing doubt. So after doing a self-exam for your doubt, you also need to know that the evil one will work hard to keep you in that state of doubt. And again, going back to that inert grenade, right? He does not want you to have assurance. When the accuser blasts you with lies, remember he would not accuse a lost person. For those who are not in Christ, 
Satan is perfectly content to leave them right where they're at. Let me encourage you to flip the script on the accuser and let his accusations remind you that you are a child of God. Now, one of the things that we learn in the military for those that are on the ground conducting firefights is that if my unit is pinned down and being shot at, one of the best ways that I can get my guys out of a pickle is to send a group off to another terrain feature and set up a flank and start shooting at the enemy. It's called effective fire draws fire. So that if I'm engaging the enemy from a flank and my teammates are over here, if I'm doing my job well, they're going to start shooting back at me. When they start shooting back at me, my buddies can hide behind another terrain feature. They can consolidate and then do all kinds, all kinds of other cool things that I won't bore you with today. But here's the deal. If you are on the battlefield for Christ and you're effective, you should, effect, you should really expect the evil one to shoot back at you, yeah. right? If you're standing before the Lord in your workplace, in your schools, wherever he leads you, you should expect some fire. Now, I for one am encouraged. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it also lets me know that I'm recognized on the battlefield. And I would much rather be recognized on the battlefield than left alone. And our job as believers, the reason we're here, is to keep standing for the Lord wherever he's placed us. Every one of us has a mission to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ where he's placed us if we are his children. All right, we've taken three steps on our journey to having assurance, but now I want us to set up camp and observe the birthmarks of a believer. Birthmarks of a believer. And since most students are back in school, I thought it'd be fun to give you all a few tests. Now, if you have test anxiety, which I'm sure a few of you do, remember five out of four people have problems with fractions. A few of you get it. All right. Get with the people that are laughing. They'll explain later. Test number one, the commandment test. 1 John 2, starting in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John is not subtle here, but let me be clear. You are not saved because of your performance in keeping the commandments, but you should have a desire to keep the commandments if you are saved. As we've learned earlier, none of us would dare say that since we've been saved, we've always obeyed every commandment. This word keep comes from the Greek and it's two different pictures. One of them is to watch over, and the other is to keep the stars. Now, some of you with a sailing background know that keeping the stars is a way to navigate on a sailing ship. In ancient times, sailors did not have GPS. They had a sextant device that would help them capture those celestial, uh, really, those signposts out there, right? And then they would use books or even from memory to help them navigate. And come to think of it, when I joined the Navy, we didn't have GPS either. I'm not sure if I like being associated with ancient sailors, but I'll work that out on my own. <laughs> but these sailors would keep their eye on the heavens, and they called it keeping the stars. And this is much like keeping the commandments from John's letter. Every sailor at times would get blown off course, maybe foul weather or maybe lack of attention. But they would navigate their ship by navigating, by keeping the stars. And when you and I keep the commandments of God, we steer our lives by them. This isn't perfection, but it's helpful in our pursuit and our purpose to become more and more like Jesus Christ. 
As we grow, our desire should increase to keep the Word of God and to enjoy the pleasant boundaries that it places in our lives. 1 John 3, starting in verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning, has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In John's text, he's saying rather strongly, if you call yourself a Christian and you are not steering yourself by God's commands, you're in habitual sin, you have no conviction of sin, then don't call yourself a Christian because you are not. Hear the plea of Jesus from John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, you've taken the commandment test. Let's move on to the confident test. 1 John 5, 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Here, belief is more than just a belief about Jesus. It's a belief in Jesus. Earlier, I shared about learning how to parachute. Now, it's one thing to believe in a parachute intellectually. It's another thing for me to place that parachute on your back and to have you jump out of a plane. Now you're believing in it to save your life. That's the picture of the confidence we have in Jesus, and even more so. Notice that our verse is also in the present tense. Isn't it interesting how many people want to go back to a time and event, even like how I shared earlier, to justify their salvation? Some will go as far to say that if you can't land on a date and time, they would even dare say you're not saved. But there's only one problem with that. It's not biblical. The Bible says, whoever believes, present tense. In other words, if you are believing, you believe. Let me help you understand this better. I have grandkids in Virginia, I have grandkids in Georgia, and I have a new grandson in Texas, and I love my grandkids. And sometimes my wife, we have to split up uh, on how we care for them. Sometimes one of us will fly and one of us will drive. Imagine she and I depart Virginia to go to Georgia. I drive, my wife flies. On the way, my wife passes over Georgia, lands, gets picked up, and she arrives at the little brown house where our kids live. I drive. I actually know exactly when I cross the Georgia state line, right? I know exactly when I crossed it. And when I arrive at the little brown house where those beautiful little granddaughters waiting for me, I know I'm in Georgia. And so does my wife. Does my wife know when she crossed the state line? No. Does she know she's in Georgia? Yes. Does that help? I hope so. You don't have to have a date timestamp. You just need to know, do you believe? And if you believe, the Bible says you are saved. Now, I also know there might be many here who are exploring Christianity, and you got lots of questions, but let me just share with you from the bottom of my heart that the Bible makes a very clear case that God loves you. I know this with all my heart. He desires to have a relationship with you, and that should thrill you. The Bible also tells us that we struggle with sin, every one of us, and that sin separates us from a holy God. And as I stated earlier, you can't earn your way to heaven. 
Even your best works are like filthy rags to a holy God. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place and to die in mine. He didn't leave him dead, though. Three days later, he raised him from the dead. And everyone, whoever believes, everyone, my favorite part that I share with you often, everywhere I go, everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can have eternal life, and it can begin today. That's the gospel, and that's the good news. And if you place your faith and trust in what Jesus did, that eternal assurance we're talking about can be yours today. So let me ask you, are you believing in Jesus right now? If so, the Bible says you're saved. One more test, the companion test. Remember, when we are born of God, we get a new nature, and it's God's nature. We also get a new family. We get a bunch of new brothers and sisters. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And then John 13, 35 tells us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the nature of God, and it's also a characteristic of his children. This is instructional when it comes to love for the local church as well. The church is Jesus' body. Who would say yes to Christ and no to the body? It's foolish to say yes to Jesus, but no to his church. Now, I realize that there may be those listening today who have been wounded by a church in the past. And for that, I am very, very sorry. I also know wounds that are left untreated will get worse over time. May I encourage you to take your hurt to your Savior and let him place a healing balm on your soul. But don't let past hurts keep you from becoming members in your local church. Now, all this talk about love doesn't mean that we're all lovable by nature. Every family has that special person in it, and if you're blessed, you might even have more than one person in your family that's extra special, right? A lot of you have that special person, I can tell by your grins. So it is with the local church. Along with our new nature to love, we need to remember we still have that old nature as well. The church is made up of many people in various stages in their spiritual journey. Some are steering by God's command, and others have been blown way off course. One of the greatest ways to stay on course and to get back on course is to join a church group. There you will gather a people that are just as messed up as you. It's one of the reasons the church group I've been leading has been called the Misfits, and I'm very pleased to be a part of it. In a church group, you'll be encouraged to spend time in fellowship, in God's Word, and in prayer, and you'll learn to grow and become more and more like Jesus Christ. Let me say it as clearly as possible. If you are not in a church group, you are missing out on a tremendous blessing. Maybe one more time. If you are not in a church group, you are missing out on a tremendous blessing. Let me ask one final question as we arrive at our destination for assurance today. Do we love each other? I arrived here almost seven years ago from Tyson's leading the youth ministry there. And as I was trying to help Prince William find a pastor, I prayed that God would give me a verse to lead this congregation with. And like a neon sign, uh, I landed on Matthew 22, where Jesus summarized the whole entire Bible by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, we summarize that here by saying, love God and love others. And that really is what it's all about, folks. Loving others is so important. 
Another way of asking this is, do you enjoy the company of believers when we talk about this love? Do you desire to gather and worship with them as you worship God? Or do you prefer to do other things? Love is so much more than fellowship, too. We should evaluate our love through 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I met my wife as a teenager at the university many, many years ago. And I thought I was clever when I said, hey, would you like to study 1 Corinthians together? And she said, yes. Now, of course, strategically, I was thinking chapter 13 down the road. But I didn't know my Bible that well, and I didn't know those first 12 chapters were going to bring on some very challenging conversations. But the Lord was kind, and she still didn't run away from me. And uh, I will tell you that 1 Corinthians has a very challenging command for us. Look at verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Are we patient? Are we kind? Are we gracious? Slow to anger? Ready to forgive? Again, none of us completely measure up to this standard, but do you desire to do so? Men, no matter if you're single or married, having kids or not, God is calling you to lead by example here. This may mean swallowing your pride and asking for forgiveness for those who love you most. And God is calling you to model a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. Ladies, same applies for you, no matter what your role. Never underestimate how God can use you when you display this kind of love. As we close our time of testing, we need to understand this is a pass-fail test. The apostle, word, the apostle Paul's words to the Corinthians are helpful. 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Examining our hearts is wise and needed. If doubts arise, the solution isn't to try harder. The solution is to place your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for you. Now, years ago, I learned something from D.A. Carson, who is a theologian's theologian. And he had one of the clearest teachings on assurance. And I gathered a clip for you so you could hear from him now. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. The day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the, the lamb? And Daub the two doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel. Haven't you, you done that? You're all ready and packed to go. You're going to eat the, the whole Passover meal with your family? Well, of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary. When you think of all the things that have happened around here recently, you know, flies and river turning to blood, and it's pretty awful. 
and, and, and now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed? You know, it's all right for you. You got three sons. I've only got one. And I love my Charlie, and, 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 and the angel of death is passing through tonight. You, you, you know, I, I know what, what God says, and I've put the blood there, but, but it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responds, bring it on. I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. Which one lost his son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after being Christians for 40 years? What are you going to say? Well, you know, God, I, I tried hard, you know? I, I did my best. It was, a, it was a bad moment. No, 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 no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Yes. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith, not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we, it's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. Amen, church. Remember, our justification is instantaneous, but the sanctification, that lifelong journey becoming more and more like Jesus, will be such a process. And it's going to be more like an EKG pattern. It's going to be ups and downs as we work our way. But it's so good to know that we can trust in that justification because of what Jesus Christ has done. So today, my hope and my mission is to teach you not to trust your feelings, but to trust in God's promises from Scripture. Let the witness and the work of the Holy Spirit move your heart and your mind from a hope-so salvation to a no-so salvation. And lastly, if you still have doubts about your salvation, most likely, do you know what your problem is? You're probably still hanging on to some kind of sin. There's something you're not giving over to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit's not going to let you rest until you give it up. And so let me encourage you to confess that sin to God. Give it to Him. And don't mistake pruning the limbs of sin because all you're going to do is strengthen the roots. Confess it, forsake it, and walk away from it. That sin, all it's going to do is lead to death. Instead, cling to the promises of God's Word. Then, from experience, I will tell you, not only in my own life, but in many lives of others that I've got to hear, God will move you from uncertainty to a rock-solid life of assurance based on what His Son did for you. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to leave this sanctuary, we are reminded of the incredible insurance that your word has offered us today. Thank you for eternal security that is promised from your word. And Father, we rejoice in the victory we have through faith, a victory that conquers the world. Yet we are aware that the world we are stepping back into is filled with trials and uncertainties and temptations. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us that the assurance we've received today may not just be a fleeting emotion, but a solid foundation upon which we stand from your word. For those among us who may still be grappling with doubts, may the assurance of eternal life echo in their hearts, dispelling all uncertainty. Let your spirit bear witness within them, confirming that they are indeed children of God, heirs to your kingdom and recipients of your eternal love. And Father, as we disperse, let the seeds of your word sown in our hearts today bear abundant fruit. May our lives be a living testimony to your grace and may our actions reflect the faith that overcomes the world. Father, in closing, we hold fast to the promise that you have given us eternal life and this life is in your son. May this blessed assurance accompany us, sustain us, and fill us with unshakable joy. And Father, for those who are still exploring Christianity today, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.